0: TED Audio Collective. This interview features ocean conservationist and entrepreneur, Andrew Forrest, in conversation with the head of TED, Chris Anderson, recorded live at We the Future 2019, presented by TED, the Skoll Foundation, and the United Nations Foundation. advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. If you're like me, you've always got some projects started that you haven't finished just yet guilty with any project it always helps to have the right tools that counts for managing money too the cool thing is the u.s bank visa platinum card is the perfect tool if you have big ticket purchases coming up or even if you just need to take care of some debts with a low intro apr for 18 billing cycles make sure you have the right tool to help you manage your money Check out what you can get accomplished today and apply at usbank.com platinum. Limited time offer, the creditor and issuer of this cart is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA Inc. Some restrictions may apply.
1: So you've been obsessed with this problem for the last few years. What is the problem in your own words? Plastic. Simple as that.
2: Our uh, inability to use it for the tremendous energetic commodity that it is and just throw it away.
1: And so we see waste everywhere. At its extreme, it looks a bit like this. I mean, where, where was this picture taken?
2: That's in the Philippines, and you know, there's a lot of rivers, ladies and gentlemen, which look exactly like that. Um, that's the Philippines, so it's
1: all over Southeast Asia. So the plastic's thrown into the rivers, and from there, of course, it ends up in the ocean. I mean, we obviously see it on the beaches, but that's not even your main concern. It's what's actually happening to it in the oceans. Talk about that.
2: Yeah, Okay. So, look, thank you, Chris. About four years ago, I um, thought I'd do something really barking crazy, and uh, I I committed to do a PhD in marine ecology. And uh, the scary part about that was, sure, I learned a lot about marine life, but it taught me more about marine death and the extreme mass ec- ecological fatality of fish, of marine life, marine mammals, and very close to biology to us, which are dying in their millions, if not trillions, that
1: we can't count, at the hands of plastic. But people think of plastic as, as ugly, but stable, right? You throw something in the ocean, hey, it'll just sit there forever. Can't do any damage, right? Yeah. Oh. See, Chris, it's it's
2: an incredible substance designed for the economy. It is the worst substance possible for the environment. The worst thing about plastic, as soon as it hits the environment, is that it fragments. It never stops being plastic. It breaks down smaller and smaller and smaller. And The breaking science on this, Chris, which we've known in marine ecology for a few years now, but it's going to hit humans, you know, we are aware now that nanoplastic, the very, very small particles of plastic, carrying their negative charge can go straight through the pores of your skin. That's not the bad news. The bad news is that it goes straight through the blood-brain barrier, that protective coating which is there to protect your brain. Your brain's a little amorphous wet mass, full of little electrical charges. You put a negative particle into that, a particularly negative particle which can carry pathogens. So you have a negative charge, it attracts positive charge elements like pathogens, toxins, mm. mercury, lead.
1: That's the breaking science we're going to see in the next 12 months. So already I think you told me that there's, there's like 600 plastic bags or so for every fish that size yeah, in know. the ocean, something like that. And, it's, and, it's, and it's they're breaking down... And there's going to be ever more of them, and we haven't even seen the start of the consequences of that.
2: No, we really haven't. Look, the the team at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, a bunch of good scientists, we've been we've been working with them for a while. I completely verify their work. They say there'll be one tonne of plastic, Chris, for every three tonne of fish. By not 2050, right? I really get impatient with people who talk about 2050. By 2025, that's around the corner. That's just here and now. You don't need one ton of plastic to completely wipe out marine life. You know, less than that is going to do it a fine job at it. So you've, you know, we have to end it straight away. We've got no time.
1: Okay, so you have a, an idea for ending it. And you're coming at this um, not as a typical environmental campaigner, I would say, but as a, as a businessman, as an entrepreneur who, who has lived, you've spent your whole life thinking about global economic systems and how they work. And um, if I understand it right, your, your idea depends on heroes who look something like this. What's her profession?
2: Uh, She, Chris, is a rag picker. And there were 15, 20 million rag pickers like her until China stopped taking um, everyone's waste and the price of plastic, minuscule that it was, collapsed. That led to people like her, which now she is a child who is a school child. She should be at school. That's probably very akin to slavery. My daughter, Grace, and I have met hundreds of people
1: like her. And there are many adults as well, literally millions around the world. And in in some industries, they actually account for the fact that, for example, we don't see a lot of metal waste in the world.
2: No, that's exactly right. That that little girl is, in fact, the hero of the environment. She's in competition with a great big petrochemical plant, which is just down the road, the $3.5 billion petrochemical plant. That's the problem. You know, we've got more oil and gas in plastic and landfill than we have in the entire oil and gas resources of the United States. So she is the hero. And that's what that landfill looks like, ladies and gentlemen, and it's solid oil and gas. So
1: there's, there's huge value potentially locked up in there that the world's ragpickers would, if they could, make a living from. But why, why can't they?
2: Because we have ingrained in us a... Price of plastic from fossil fuels, which sits just under what it takes to economically and profitably recycle plastic from plastic. See, all plastic is is uh, building blocks from oil and gas. You know, it's plastic is one hundred percent polymer, which is one hundred percent oil and gas. And you know, we've got enough plastic in the world for all our needs. And when we Recycled plastic. If we can't recycle it at cheaper than fossil fuel plastic, then of
1: course the world just sticks to fossil fuel plastic. So that's the fundamental problem. The price of recycled plastic is is usually more than the price of just buying it straight, made fresh from more oil. That's the fundamental problem.
2: That, a slight tweak of the rules here, Chris. I'm I'm a commodity person. I understand that you know th- we used to have scrap metal and rubbish iron and bits of copper lying all all around the villages, particularly in the developing world, then people worked out it's got a value. It, it's an, actually an article of value. It's not a waste. Now, the villages and the cities and the streets are clean. You don't, see, you don't trip over um, scrap copper
1: or sc- scrap iron now because it's, it's an
2: article of value. It gets recycled.
1: So... What's your idea then to, to, to try to change that in plastics?
2: Okay, so Chris, for most part of that PhD, I've been doing research. And the good thing about being a business person who's done okay at it is that people want to see you. You know, Other business people, even if they're kind of a bit of a zoo animal species they'd like to check out, say, oh yeah, okay, will I we'll meet Twiggy Forest? And, um, and so once you're in there, you can interrogate them. And, uh, and I've been to most of the oil and gas and fast-moving consumer good companies in the world, and there is a real will to change. I mean, there's a couple of dinosaurs who are going to hope for, ch- for the best and do nothing, but there's a real will to change. So what I've been discussing is that the 7.5 billion people in the world don't actually deserve to have their environment smashed by plastic, their oceans rendered to or barren of sea life because of plastic. So you come down that chain and there's tens of thousands of brands which we all buy heaps of product from, but then there's only 100 major resin producers, pet, big petrochemical plants,
1: that spew out all the plastic, which is single use. So 100 companies are right at the base of this food chain, as it were. The, yeah. And so what, what do you need those 100 companies to do?
2: OK, so we need them to simply raise the value of the building blocks of plastic from oil and gas which I call bad plastic, raise the value of that so that when it spreads through the brands and onto us as c- customers, we won't barely even notice an increase in our coffee cup or Coke or Pepsi or anything. Like what, like a cent extra? Oh, or less, something. less, you know, quarter of a cent, half a cent. It will be absolutely, mu- absolutely minimal, but what it does, it makes every bit of plastic all over the world an article of value it you know where where you have the waste worst
1: say southeast asia india that's where the wealth is most okay so it feels like there's two parts to this one is by if they can if they will charge more money but carve out that excess and pay it into what into a fund exactly. operated by someone to tackle this problem of what? What would that money be, that okay. money be used for so, that they charge the extra for? So,
2: so when I speak to really big businesses, I say, look, I need you to change and I need you to change really fast. They're gonna, their eyes are going to peel over in boredom unless I say, and it's good business. Okay, now you've got my attention, Andrew. So say, right, I need you to make a contribution to an environmental and industry transition fund. Over two or three years, the entire global plastics industry can transition from getting its its building blocks from fossil fuel to getting its building blocks from plastic. The technologies out there, it's proven. I've taken two multi-billion dollar operations from nothing, recognising that the technology can be scaled. I see at least a dozen technologies in plastic to handle all types of plastic. So once those technologies have an economic margin, which this gives them, that's where the public, the global public, will get all their plastic from, from existing plastic.
1: So every sale of virgin plastic contributes money to a fund that is used to basically transition the industry and start to pay for things like cleanup and other pieces. Uh, absolutely, audit. absolutely. So and it has the incredible side benefit, which is maybe even the main benefit of creating a market. It suddenly makes recyclable plastic a giant business that can unlock millions of people around the world to find a new living collecting it. Yeah, exactly. So,
2: I mean, all you do... Is you've got fossil fuel plastics at this value and recycled plastic at this value. You change it, so recycled plastic is cheaper. What I love about this most, Chris, is that you know we th- we waste into the environment 300, mm. 350 million tons of plastic. On the oil and gas company's own accounts, it's going to grow to 500 million tons. This is an accelerating problem.
1: Mm.
2: But every ton of that is polymer. Polymer is $1,000, $1,500 a tonne, that's half a trillion dollars which could go into business and could create jobs and opportunities and wealth right across the world, particularly in it, the most impoverished, yet we throw it away.
1: So this would allow the big companies to invest in recycling plants literally all, all over the world, where the plastic all is All over right the
2: now. world, because the technology is low capital costs. You can put it at rubbish dumps, bottom of big hotels, garbage depots, everywhere. Turn that waste into resin.
1: Now, you're a philanthropist and you're ready to commit some of your own wealth to this. What what is the role of philanthropy in this project?
2: I think what we have to do is kick in the 40 to 50 million US dollars to get it going. And then we have to create absolute transparency so everyone can see exactly what's going on from the resin producers to the brands to the consumers. Everyone gets to see who's playing the game, who's protecting the earth and who doesn't care. And that'll cost about a million dollars a week. And we're going to underwrite that for five years. Total contributions, circa three hundred million US dollars. Wow.
1: Now, and you've talked to other companies, like to the Coca Colas of of this world, who who are willing to do this. They're willing to pay a higher price. They would like to pay a higher price so long as it's fair. Yeah, it's it's a loving playfield.
2: It's fair. So, Coca Cola wouldn't like Pepsi. To play ball, unless the whole world knew that Pepsi wasn't playing ball, then they don't care. So it's that transparency of the market, where you know if people try and cheat the system, the market can see that. The consumers can see it. Consumers want a role to play in this. Seven and a half billion of us, we don't want our world smashed by a hundred companies. Well,
1: so tell us. I mean, you've said what the companies can do and what you're willing to do. What what can people listening do? Okay, so
2: I would like all of us, all around the world, to go to a website called. No plastic waste. You contact your 100 resin producers, which are in your region, you'll have at least one within an email or a Twitter or, you know, a telephone contact from you, and let them know that you would like them to make a contribution to a fund which industry can manage or the World Bank can manage. It raises tens of billions of dollars per year. So you can transition the industry to getting all its plastic from plastic, not from fossil fuel. We don't need that. That's bad. This is good. And it can clean up the environment. You've got enough capital there. You've got tens of billions billions of dollars, Chris, per annum to clean up the environment.
1: You're in the recycling business. Isn't this a conflict of interest for you or rather a huge business opportunity for you? Yeah, look,
2: I'm in the iron ore business and I compete against the scrap metal business. And that's why you don't have any scrap lying around to trip over and and, uh, and a cut your toe on because it gets your, collected.
1: This isn't your excuse to go into the plastic recycling business.
2: No, I'm, I am going to cheer for this boom. This will be the internet of plastic waste. This will be a boom industry which will spread all over the world and particularly where poverty is worse because that's where the rubbish is most and that's the resource. So I'm going to cheer for it and stand back.
1: Twiggy, we're in an era where... So many people around the world are craving a new, regenerative economy, these big supply chains, these big industries, to fundamentally transform. It strikes me as a giant idea, and you're going to need a lot of people cheering you on your way to make it happen. Thank you for sharing this with us. Thank Thank you you so
2: much. Thank you, sir.
0: For more TED Talks, go to TED.com.